0: Amen. God's love never does fail, does it? Well, you're already seated, but would you turn to your neighbor and we we continue to worship? My grandfather used to have a saying every time we were visiting, he said, I'm glad you got to see me. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you got to see me? It is so good to, to be with you all this morning and uh, to be out in God's creation what a beautiful day to worship the Lord, amen? Amen. And I know uh, some of y'all may have been drunk here, some of y'all may be running here, but whether you're a skeptic, whether you're a seeker, or whether you came praising God this morning, I know this, God is here amongst us, and God wants to meet with us, and He's willing to meet us right where we are, but here's the greater news. He doesn't want to leave us as we are. Can we get an amen to that? And so, like I said, I'm so grateful to be with you. My name's Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at The Way, and we're so grateful you're here. Those of you that may be joining us for the first time, some of y'all drove all the way from Florida, praise God, to be here. woo Excited to have you join us. Um, I just want to say this, you're always welcome here at The Way, let stop, where we seek to introduce people to Jesus. How? By sharing in hope, living with purpose, for the second of Earth. We started a couple weeks ago asking the question, what's your story? Y'all remember that? What's your story? All of us have a story, and we've been blessed. I just want to give a shout-out to Michael and Courtney and Alan for sharing a part of their story and how they came to discover that their story was part of a bigger story, God's story. And and, and it was amazing to hear their testimonies. And not only that, we've begun to unpack the stories of those that we see in Scripture of how they encountered God and in encountering God. Their lives are changed and how they came to be a part of God's movement called the church. And so I just want to reflect for a minute. We, we looked all the way back at the Old Testament. If you remember, we looked at Leah as someone that was unloved and dishonored by her husband but discovered that she was loved and honored by God. And then Levi, as, as Ann unpacked for us last week, he was one of those that was a scorn or bane of existence in his family and in the community for what he did as a tax collector. We might do the same thing today if he was a tax collector amongst us, right? But we found that he was chosen by Christ. And we go on to be one of the followers of Jesus and we go on and write the beautiful Gospel of Matthew that we have today. Praise be to God for these lives that have been changed. And today, we're going to listen in and read about another life that was changed, a dreamer. His name is Joseph. And he consumed some 14 chapters of Genesis. So put on your seatbelt. I'm kidding. We're not going to read 14 chapters of Genesis. But I do want to dive into this one part of his life as we meditate on God's Word this morning. Listen to God's Word for us. Do you stop, to Go, ho, ho. Let's that. Yeah, yeah, Let's see if this is a little better. Here's God's word for us. It begins in Genesis chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was a famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land and the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger, and he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me as we go to the Lord in prayer and continue to worship? Almighty God, I thank you for this beautiful day. I thank you for the worship we've already experienced. The presence of you in our midst this morning, Lord, as the the kids joyfully swing and we meditate upon your word, God, I pray that we would encounter the living word, your son, Jesus Christ. God, knowing that you meet us just as we are, but you don't want to leave us as we are. I pray that through your power and presence of your Holy Spirit, we would leave here different than we came. I ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then he remembered. It says, then he remembered that suggests in some ways he has all but forgotten something. He's all but forgotten his dreams. And if you knew the backstory to Joseph, you know, there's good reason for why he might have forgotten the dreams that God had put on his heart. Beg the question, how many of us have forgotten or given up or abandoned the dream? Any of us here today? You see, life sometimes can take detours, can't it? It can lead us to, to abandoning dreams that maybe God's placed on our heart, and that certainly seems to be the case for Joseph. So to give you a little back story, we find him in this place some 20 years, fast forward from the moment in which God had imparted a couple of dreams on his heart. At that time, he was a 17-year-old boy, and he was a little bit braggadocious, just like many teens are. And and having had those dreams, he had the audacity to tell his family about them because the dreams were about his family. It were dreams that implied in some ways that his family would one day bow down before him. Now, add insult to injury, we find that Jacob loved Joseph more than the rest of his brothers. Kind of a, a pattern that we find Jacob in, because you remember he loved Rachel more than he loved his other sister, her sister. And so we find Leah, that is. And so here we find him not only loving Rachel more than Leah, we find him loving Joseph more than any of his other children. He could do no wrong. He was given the, the beautiful robe, if you remember in the story. He was the one that, that was the favorite son. And so he's a little bit of a brat, probably, amongst his brothers. And so to have the audacity to share this dream with his brothers, as a 17-year-old, didn't vote very well. About a dysfunctional family, you talk about a lot of things going on, and that's when that dream began to be dismantled. The day when his father sent him out to check in on his older brothers, they're out tending to the sheep. They see him from a distance, and if you remember the story, they begin to plot to kill him. Oldest brother thankfully says, Let's not kill him. They didn't throw him in a well, and then they sell him into slavery. They sell him to the Ishmaelites, no less. And if you know the backstory there, there's a little bit of a rub between the Ishmaelites. And the Israelites, because their great-grandfather, Abraham, favored the Israelites over the Israelites. What a lot of dysfunction in his family, right? And so we find this favorite son wearing an ornate robe, being disrobed, derobed by his brothers, sold into slavery. And they seek to cover up their plot by tearing that robe and cutting up an animal, letting the animal's blood be on it. And they go back to their father and say, he never made it to us. An animal must have killed him. In turn, we find that Joseph, in shackles and slavery with the Ishmaelites, finds himself in Egypt. They sell him yet again. He finds himself in Egypt in slavery, not by the Ishmaelites, by Potiphar, an official in the Egyptian uh, society, one that served the Pharaoh himself. And we're told that things go well for him, so much so... That Potiphar entrusted him with his whole household, only there was an issue. His wife had a thing for Joseph. And Joseph repeatedly would, would walk away and shy away from her advances. But one day he walked in she grabbed a hold of his cloak. And again, he dismissed her overtures and he walked away, only the cloak remained in her hands. And just as the robe was used to cover up a scheme earlier, she used his cloak now for a scheme of her own to blame him and suggest that he was coming and making advances on her. Potiphar is incensed. He goes from bondage and slavery to bondage in prison. And yet, we find in Scripture that God is yet still with him. With him in Potiphar's house, we find that God is still with him in prison, only this time the warden, much like Potiphar, entrusts him with all that is in his care, including the other prisoners. But years go by. Dreams grow dim. There is no light at the end of the tunnel, if you will, for Joseph saved one day when two of the Pharaoh's officials come in the cupbearer and the cake cake maker. You remember that story? And and both have a dream, and and this dreamer, having lost sight of his own dream, becomes a dream interpreter. And he interprets their dreams, and he he says, This cupbearer is going to be reinstated in three days back to his role. And the cake maker made a mistake of asking, well, what's my dream mean? Because he said in three days, you're going to be infilled in a mistake. You're going to be beheaded Not a great ending, is it? But nonetheless, the, 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 those dreams come true. And, 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 and Joseph says, hey, listen, don't forget me, to the cupbearer, as he leaves. All well, what we find is that the cupbearer not only leaves prison behind, but he leaves Joseph behind too. Unfair of soul, falsely accused, forgotten. He would not only been stripped of his outer garments, but he had been stripped of his freedom. He had been stripped of his dreams, too. I can only imagine that Joseph was asking questions like, how did I get here? What did I do to deserve this? Any of y'all have ever found yourself asking those questions? How did I get here? What did I do to deserve this? This is where we find Joseph. Perhaps we find some of ourselves this morning, too, forgotten in prison. Some two years would go by before Joseph would be remembered. This time the Pharaoh has a pair of dreams, some so wackadoodle dreams at that. It's, it's seven fat cows being eaten by seven skinny cows, and then it's seven healthy grain wheats being eaten by seven spindly ones, and he is perplexed, and no one in the land can interpret his dreams. That is until the cupbearer says, you know what? I remember this dude that was in prison he interpreted my dreams but he interpreted interpret yours too so Joseph's cleaned up He's summoned he's brought before the Pharaoh and we find him saying this the Pharaoh says I had a dream and no one can interpret it but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream you can interpret it Joseph appropriately says I cannot do it but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires and so what we find is that Joseph goes on and he begins to interpret the dreams. He says, these couple dreams, these pair of dreams are one and the same. There's going to be seven years of abundance in the land, but then it's going to be followed by seven years of devastation, of drought, and of famine. And it's almost like the inner 17-year-old comes out and Joseph, because he has the audacity. I mean, this little strong, scrappy guy has been in prison, looks to the Pharaoh, the strongest in the land, the mightiest in the land, and says, I'm going to tell you what you need to do about it. You need to put someone in charge. He saw him to manage these seven years of, of abundance so that there will be a way to endure the seven years of devastation. And the Pharaoh's like, That's a brilliant idea. In fact, I think you're the one of the wisest around, and God's clearly with you, so I'm going to put you in charge. And so here we find Joseph, he's thirty years old, some thirteen years after he had been disrobed by his brothers, finding the Pharaoh placing another robe on him, a ring on his finger taking him around in a chariot and finding that he is second to none save the Pharaoh himself to manage and to steward these seven years of abundance and then to navigate the seven years of drought. So fast forward those seven years of abundance come and when the drought comes, now it's been twenty years. Imagine this, twenty years since you last put eyes on his siblings. It's been 20 years. He's Joseph has placed eyes and his siblings. When they had sought and plotted to end his life, they now are before him, and they're bowing down before him, and they're pleading for grain. And it's in this moment, 20 years later, Joseph remembers. He remembers. He remembers the dream that had been imparted upon his heart as a young teenager. He, he recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. He's standing there. Imagine this. He's standing there with all of his brothers bowing down for, for him, the older ones that is. And in that moment, those brothers that had overpowered him 20 years ago are at their knees with him having power over them. You talk about his chance to get revenge. Any of you got siblings you want to get revenge on? Any of you all grow up and you get in squabble where you want to get back? Someone for doing you wrong as a, as a brother or sister? I don't think Joseph's the only one, right? Some of you are laughing at me. You know, maybe you're still doing it today. <laughs> this is where we find Joseph. This is the perfect time for Joseph to get back to his brother. So he could have imprisoned him. He could have had him sentenced to death. And for a moment, if you look at his story, he is rather harsh with his brother's but this is a pivotal moment when he begins to remember his dreams and he begins to remember that, that there is something far grander at work here, that his dream of what he thought was meant to be in terms of his brothers bowing down to him was too small. You, you see, he, he thought that perhaps that the dream was for him to lord over his brothers and he realized that his story was part of God's bigger story. That them bowing down before him and bringing him to the fruition that he was there not to lord over them but to save them. And so as Joseph finally decides to, to reveal himself to his brothers, this is what we find him saying. He says, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God, and y'all know I love it when there's a but in Scripture. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. Now picture this. Joseph's now 37 years old. He's obviously much wiser than he was as a teenager. And I think it's beginning to dawn on him the magnitude. Just the magnitude of the dream that God had imparted on his heart some 20 years before. And as I said earlier, it wasn't for him to rule over his family, but to save his family. He begins to recognize that God took the harm inflicted upon him and used it to shape him into a man of mercy and to place him in a position to extend mercy to save the lives of others. And he'd go on to, to hear that his his father was alive and he'd draw his father and his extended family to come and to stay with him in Egypt and they would get the the preferred land in Goshen to live out the rest of their lives and and, and his father reunited with his father, reunited with his family. It's like a big, giant family reunion in Egypt. And at the end of his father's life, he blesses each of his sons. And he passes on. And at that moment, his brothers, for a fleeting moment, think of now Joseph It's going to exact his revenge. We find Joseph saying this.
1: Don't be afraid.
0: Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You talk about an illustration of forgiveness. You talk about an illustration of God's provision. You talk about this ultimate extension of grace. You see, Joseph's story is that of a dreamer, not unlike many of us today. And yet his life is a life filled with detours. And I imagine that he's not the only one. Many of us, if not all of us, have found our lives living a life filled with detours. We also find that Joseph finds his life marked by God being with him. Whether in the depths of despair, the brokenness in his family, or the uncertainty of his future. We see it woven into each and every detour in his life. Dreams dashed? Not really. We see God took those dreams and allowed them to be far grander than Joseph could have ever imagined. This is the power of God. We see even in the setbacks of life, God works despite of them for his glory and our good. And the whole of the narrative, the whole biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation is pointing to this reality I love the way that the the writer of Proverbs puts it in in Proverbs 16.4. He says, the Lord works out everything for his own ends. And later in Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You fast forward to Paul, the the great persecutor of the church, the one that, that wanted to eradicate those that sought to follow Jesus having had a a life-transforming moment when he encountered Jesus himself and his story became part of God's bigger story, he'd go on to write, after having been beaten and imprisoned, he'd write to the church in Rome, he says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I think it's always important to say, that he says, we know that in all things, not that all things are good. Am I right? Can I get an Amen. Some of us have experienced some things that have not been good in, life. Maybe in our life. Or the internet's going to family right? But in all things, God works for the good. It leads me to ask a question. Are there some dreamers amongst us today? How many of you have abandoned a dream? How many of you have given up on a dream? How many of you have seen decades go by in your life and you've all but forgotten the dreams that God placed on your hearts and in your mind? You see, the reality is, is that all of our lives have experienced detours. Can I get an amen? Some of us have experienced the brokenness of relationships, whether that be in marriage or an extended family or maybe BFS. Some of us are, have experienced the bondage of our own making. You know, those mistakes we make, the sins we commit, and we look back in our said and say, that was stupid. Any of y'all ever look back and say, no, that was something stupid? I did something stupid? I've done that before. I resemble it. That. And, and sometimes it's not what we've done, but what someone else has done and inflicted on us. Some great harm has come our way in many ways in some of our lives. And sometimes simply there are circumstances beyond our control that can lead us feeling helpless. And hopeless. The glimmer of life that we once had and the dreams that we desire for the future seem all but faint, all but dim. But I'm here today to say that God's not done with you. God's not done with me. God's not done with us. What we see in Scripture, what we see in the story of Joseph is that God was always with him, even in the depths of despair, even in the midst of the betrayal, even in the midst of the false accusation, even in the midst of the imprisonment, God was with him, and God was doing something far grander in those moments that he could fathom. God is with you. God is with me. We find that like just having been beaten down by jealousy, sold into slavery out of hatred, and put in bondage out of lies, and deceit, God remains with us through it all. Do you know how I know that? You know, how I know, you know how I can. You know how I can profess that to you and boldly proclaim that today. I can declare that to you today because God knows what Joseph went through, and God knows what you and I have gone through because He's gone through it Himself. You see, God through His Son Jesus Christ got off the throne and put on flesh and blood, and he began and chose to walk amongst us and to walk alongside us and to show us a better way. And in the midst of that, He knows what it's like to be falsely accused. He sold out for money to be physically abused and socially ostracized. Jesus knows every detour, every lie, every abuse, every false accusation, every mistake he's made. He's walked in our shoes. And he came anyway. And he came with arms outstretched so that he might stretch out his arms upon a cross and take all those lies take all those faults, take all those mistakes, take our sinfulness and the sins that have been inflicted on us and take it upon us so that God's dream would never be sinned by. That dream is so that you and I might be reinstated as sons and daughters of the Most High, that we might be called fearfully and wonderfully made and walk with our Maker, our Creator, God, Walk with him like we did in the beginning of the early Genesis. This is what Jesus came for. This is what Jesus died for. This is what Jesus overcame the grave for, so that you and I might be able to walk in the newness of life and that those dreams that God's imparted in our hearts might become a reality, and not in the way that we imagine, but in some way that's far grander and far greater because it's God's dream for you, and he wants to do through you so that we might see greater things happen. Because what is it that Jesus said in what Sending you to heaven, He said you're gonna go on and do what? Greater things. Greater things. So I say to you today, if you've forgotten those dreams of God put in your heart, don't forget them. Lean into them. I say to you today, if you feel like your life is taking a detour, that it is not a permanent detour, that because of Christ, there is a bridge back to the way to life, eternal life, abundant through the cross of Christ for you and for me. You see, when we begin to, to grab a hold of that reality, when we begin to grab a hold of the reality of what Christ has done for us and what Christ wants to do through us, well, everything begins to change. Our life takes on a newness of purpose. Those dreams that we have, we begin to realize that they're part of a bigger story. They're part of God's redemptive story that we are invited to. We don't deserve it. We've been invited to be a part of it. See, your story and my story, your dreams and my dreams, they will probably something about and about But If we we'll look to Christ, if we replace our faith in Christ, not only for what He has done before what He wants to do in the three years, those dreams can still become true. May this no, you pray with me this Oh my God, I thank you. I thank you for how your word shows all the flaws of humanity We don't hold back any of that. We see a dysfunctional family here. We see the brokenness. We see the neglect. We see the selfishness again. And all of that. We see where you're at work in it and even in spite of it. Ultimately, coming to the fruition of you coming in flesh and blood through your son, Jesus Christ, to do something about it. Not just for someone else, but for us too. So, oh my God, I pray that we will begin to recognize that those dreams that you've instilled in us, they can still become a real In fact, they probably will look differently than we imagine them, just like Joseph, who was dreaming too small when God opened his eyes to a far grander purpose behind his dream. God, I pray for each and every person within the sound of my voice, that they too would recognize that perhaps we're dreaming too small. But when we lean in on you we allow your spirit to speak into our hearts as to what Christ has done and what Christ wants to do in us, where so that dream becomes not only a reality, but a far bigger one than it ever Lord, we love you and we pray. And in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, in the church said, Amen. Amen.